Hello there, how's it going? Uh, thanks for checking in. Uh, today I wanted just to talk briefly about the difference between uh, depth psychology and psychoanalysis. Or to put it another way, really the difference between Jung and Freud. And the reason why this is on my mind is, well, partly because people have asked me before about the differences, but I was, uh, I was actually in Boise last week giving a paper on a critical engagement with the work of Jordan Peterson. And what I was arguing in the paper is that although uh, Peterson has on occasion called himself a psychoanalyst, uh, this is fundamentally wrong. Um, he is not a psychoanalyst. Uh, he is neither a psychoanalyst in training, because to be a psychoanalyst you have to be trained by a psychoanalytic institution, uh, and he isn't a psychoanalyst in orientation. Um, actually, he is a clinical psychologist with an interest in analytical psychology. And although they can sound very similar, they, they're all quite different disciplines. And so I thought I would uh, delve into why. Now, in the paper itself, I was, uh, I, was, I was looking at um, Peterson primarily as a Jungian. Um, you know, Peterson has a tendency to quote um, and misquote a lot of philosophers and various thinkers. And, um, you know, I, I won't get into all of that. But one of the people he quotes who he does have a good understanding of is Jung. And I would argue that actually um, he is a Jungian in terms of his uh, understanding of the unconscious. And in the paper, I was contrasting the Jungian understanding of the unconscious with the Freudian understanding of the unconscious, uh, so as to be able to kind of draw out, I think, the weakness of Peterson's uh, understanding of civilization and its discontents. Its discontents uh, primarily meaning, uh, you know, identity politics activists and uh, liberal Americans. And uh, I was contrasting his view with that of the work of Freud and Freud's understanding of civilization and its discontents. And that although uh, both a Freudian and a Jungian reading uh, might identify the same problem, and they have very, very different ways of understanding uh, where that problem arises from. Um, as I say, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, here, the paper is out there. There's a very bad uh, audio version of it and video, uh, a live feed. I wouldn't recommend you watch it, but there's a better quality one that I've been told is out there. And uh, when I get hold of that, I will post it up. I'll post the audio onto my Talks Archive uh, podcast on iTunes. But it, it did strike me as an opportunity to maybe kind of parse out the difference. So we'll start with Jung um, and uh, I'm primarily going to use one of Jung's better essays, uh, an essay called On the Ego and its Relation to the Unconscious, in volume 7 of his collected works. And it's a very clear um, uh, kind of like outline of Jung's position on the unconscious. And, you know, before we get into that, basically Jung has this notion that the, we're split between the conscious and the unconscious, and the unconscious is itself split between the personal unconscious and the collective unconscious. The personal unconscious is um, the type of repressed and disavowed and forgotten elements 
of ourselves from our own history, our own upbringing, our relationships with our siblings and with our parents and with our friends and enemies. And the collective unconscious, that is something that is shared across humanity. Um, and, you know, Jung would say that the, the religious name for the collective unconscious is the soul. Uh, so basically within religion, uh, it's a common for people to think that they have a dimension of themselves that is not touched by the ravages of time that there is a part of themselves that is so them and yet once their body dies this dimension will continue to exist and so Jung says well this is a religious intuition of the collective unconscious because the collective unconscious is this deep part of yourself but it's a deep part of yourself that existed before you were on the scene and unless all of humanity is wiped out will exist after you've died. So the, the, the collective unconscious is full of these archetypes that really define how we understand ourselves and interact with the world. Now, for Jung, uh, the, the, the subject is split into two parts, uh, and you can define them in lots of different ways. The conscious, the unconscious, masculine, feminine, light and shadow, order and chaos, right? Yin and yang. So you have that notion of a yin and yang, you know, these two black and white uh, forms that are unified in a circle. And for Jung, that's kind of like the ideal is we need to find some sort of harmony or balance between these two dimensions. Uh, you can't have too much order or too much disorder. Uh, order and disorder need to have some sort of productive relationship. You need the light and encounter the shadow. The conscious and the unconscious need to be in relation to each other. There has to be a porous kind of like communication between these realms. And, uh, you know, for Jung, the, the, the royal road to the collective unconscious is uh, religious mythology or mythology uh, because mythology connects us with these very basic archetypes um, this is one of the reasons why peterson spends so much time with uh, religious myth uh, it's because you know for him uh, it's not about believing in god or not believing in god it's about uh, encountering these mythologies to start to commune with the collective unconscious which can kind of like bring a certain balance and healing to society. Um, so central to, to Jung's understanding, especially in the ego and its relation to the unconscious, is that the unconscious is a compensatory mechanism. And what he means by that is, the more you repress the shadow, or the more you repress the unconscious, the more you repress any archetype or any dimension of yourself, the more the, that tries to make itself heard. So you push it away and it erupts, it comes back, it tries to compensate, it tries to find balance. And an example uh, Jung used was some guy who was dreaming about his brother and he didn't like his brother, he thought his brother was weak and inferior and you know just not worthy of his time. 
But in his dreams, his brother would kind of haunt him uh, by being this great general, by being Napoleon. And what Jung uh, said was that in a sense, the unconscious was trying to bring, bring balance to his understanding of his brother. The more he repressed the parts of his brother that he didn't want to look at, uh, the, the parts of his brother that uh, conflicted with the, the low esteem that he had for him, the more it came up in his dreams and kind of uh, disturbed his sleep. And so for Jung, uh, he had to listen to his dreams, uh, listen to that other side. And as he was able to listen to that, he got a, you know, a better view of his brother and you know, was able to sleep. So this compensatory dimension, if, if, you, if you're very masculine or you're very feminine and you, for Jung, repress the other, so if you're masculine and you really repress the feminine or you're very feminine and you re repress the masculine, well, those dimensions will erupt in your life in negative ways, maybe coming out in uh, you know, who you're attracted to. Um, you know, you, you might, uh, you know, if you're very feminine, you might be attracted to just inc incredibly overtly masculine individuals who, you know, um, are, are, are not healthy. Or if you're very, very masculine and you, you don't open yourself up to emotions at all, you may end up having some sort of breakdown um, at some point, you know, this emotional eruption, right? So this is this idea that, that the more you repress, the more that, that shadow is going gonna, is gonna to punch you in the face. Um, and therefore, we need to be open to hearing the collective unconscious and the personal unconscious. And as we hear it, we take away its power and we take that power into ourselves. Okay. Um, now, that is not the Freudian uh, understanding, right? So that is a depth psychology understanding. Depth psychology is are people who take seriously the unconscious, but they kind of take the unconscious as being something. You know, as I said, there's, you know, for young masculine, feminine, order, chaos, uh, the light and the shadow, yin and yang, um, you know, sun and moon, or however you want to say it, the conscious, the unconscious, there are these two dimensions that have to be brought into harmony. But for Freud, the unconscious isn't something. It isn't something that you can find balance with. Uh, it is a distortion in the field of reality itself, or in the field of symbolic reality. And I guess the best way to define this is with an example. And uh, this is an example from Northern Ireland. Uh, there's a city, it was, the, it was the second city of Northern Ireland. There were only two cities during the Troubles. Uh, there's three now, I think. Um, but outside of Belfast, there is this second largest city. And it has a name. Uh, it actually has two names. And you cannot name the city without uh, betraying who you, your community, uh, what political or religious affiliation you or your, your community has. So you either called it Derry, and if you called it Derry, that means you grew up in like a nationalist and Catholic area, or you called it London Derry, and that means you were a unionist, uh, you grew up in a Protestant kind of community. 
and there was no way of naming the city in a neutral way, right? So it was kind of a shibboleth. Uh, it told you where the other person came from. And it was, of course, a very uh, dangerous thing if you named the city in the wrong way, in the wrong place. Um, you know, you could get beaten up or worse. And it, a lot of journalists would call the city Derry Stroke Londonderry. So on the news they would say, you know, Derry Stroke Londonderry, uh, which is a bit of a mouthful. Now, here's the thing, right? There's Derry and Londonderry, but there's, there's only one city. There isn't two cities. There's only one city with two names. And each name describes a different way of understanding the makeup of the city, um, the way it runs, the way it operates. Uh, and it's, it, it's not, it's, there's not like a, a balance that can be found between the two. You know, Derry signals nationalism, signals the desire for a united Ireland. Londonderry signals unionism, the desire that Northern Ireland remain part of the United Kingdom. So there's no real balance to be had between these two positions. Um, but then there was a radio journalist called um, Jerry Anderson. And Jerry Anderson, very funny guy, but he started to call the city Stroke City. So, you know, he took what the journalist said, uh, Derry Stroke Londonderry, and he just called it Stroke City. And in a sense, what he did is he named the gap between the two the distortion between the two. That is the Freudian unconscious, right? The, the Freudian unconscious is not um, something. It's, it's, a, it's a crack within our symbolic system that distorts reality. It's like there's matter and then there's a black hole that distorts matter, right? The black hole isn't something, it's a gap, it's a lack that distorts reality. Um, the gap between Derry and Londonderry didn't exist in reality. So a lot of people will say that is, you know, this lack that you talk about, uh, the Lacanian lack, you know, uh, that exists, you know, like how they, um, there's a critique of that. You're going to know it doesn't exist. It, it, the lack doesn't exist it, it, in reality. Just like there's not two cities, there's only one city with two names. The lack exists within the symbolic dimension. Um, think of it like a painting. If you look at a painting that has a foreground and a background, right? So in the foreground there are trees and in the background there are mountains. You know there's a distance between the trees and the mountains, but there is no distance in the painting. The painting is, is, uh, is flat, right? So the distance in the painting is in a sense within um, the way you interpret it the way you see it, the way you take it in, right? Um, that is what the lack is. That's why you can't fill the lack because the lack isn't something substantive. Uh, it is a type of disruption um, in the social self. And that has huge uh, connotations because with, with the Freudian notion, um, there is no way to have balance in your life, right? So Peterson, for example, talks about a fragile balance that we need. You know, it's, and he talks about walking. Walking is almost like a perpetual falling, but you have this fragile balance which kind of stops you from hitting the ground. And so we need this fragile balance between these two dimensions. Well, Freud is like, there is no 
there is no balance. There is a fundamental distortion in reality, and it's called the drive. And uh, uh, if you want to go into more depth on that, check out my Paro seminars. I go into a lot more depth about what the drive is and why it's distinguished from instinct. But we're not going to get into that. Um, but the, the Freudian notion is you can't have balance because there is something about subjectivity that is inherently distorted and imbalanced. And actually what we need to do is make peace with that imbalance and turn it into something that is useful, right? Um, now, I'll give you an example of maybe how this pans out. Uh, let me see, I'll give you this example. Um, it's actually a, a someone I know, uh, not a friend, uh, somebody I just met once at a conference, but he um, was a clinical psychologist and he told me about this kid who was wetting the bed and he was too old to be wetting the bed and his parents brought him to this clinical psychologist uh, to do some cognitive therapy uh, because this bedwetting was threatening to destabilize the, the fragile balance and harmony within the family, right? And this was like a, an, an assault from without. This bedwetting was causing problems to the family and it needed to be stopped. Now, after a while, uh, the clinical psychologist um, began to see that cognitive therapy wasn't working uh, because the bedwetting wasn't an external problem that was threatening to destabilize the relative harmony of the family, but the bedwetting was the concrete manifestation of a disavowed disharmony within the family. In other words, there was a problem within the family that wasn't being looked at, but it was there, everyone could feel it. And one of the ways that that disavowed disharmony was being manifested was in this bedwetting. And so the clinical psychologist stopped doing the cognitive therapy, brought the family together and got them talking about their family dynamic. Right? In that example, you know, the bedwetting isn't um, a threat to the order of the family. It is actually the manifestation of something that's happening within the family but is not being looked at. And in the same way, you can see some outbreaks of activism, liberal activism in America, uh, potentially as, um, you know, an eruption that is threatening to destabilize um, the peace and relative harmony of Western civilization, or you can see it as a type of eruption of a disavowed violence and disavowed problems within the society that need to be addressed. And uh, you know that's the difference I think between kind of a, a more union political reading, uh, which which sees uh, um, any disruption as an external enemy threatening harmony to a Freudian reading, which is uh, when a society isn't able to look at its problems and its uh, you know, like various kind of it, uh, violence uh, and uh, its traumas, then they will find concrete manifestations. Uh, they will explode in various unhealthy ways. Um, so there you go. That's just like a brief difference between, say, the depth psychology of people like Frankel, Rogers, and Jung, and the uh, psychoanalytic approach of people like uh, you know Anna Freud, 
uh, Klein, Winnicott, Bion and Lacan. Um, they are different and that's why most people don't consider Jung a psychoanalyst and he called himself an analytical psychologist. There's a little bit of blurriness definitely and um, you know many psychoanalysts read Jung and uh, but there's also enough of a difference in how they conceptualize the unconscious um, and then the the way that therapy works but also readings of politics and religion and all of that stuff starts to look very different so hopefully that was clarifying and uh, didn't muddy the waters even more uh, you know tell me what you think if you've got questions let me know maybe i can address some of them as i say this is just a very basic um, kind of parsing out of these terms and if you want you can check out my paro seminars for much more in-depth uh, explorations of these ideas um, or you know check out that paper that I gave. Um, I also in the fundamentalists we did a three-part uh, conversation on um, uh, instinct and drive which is very very introductory but um, you know if you're if you're bored give it a listen. Thanks very much take care of yourself bye bye.